You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 36, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today I'm going to be speaking with Sheila Andrine, an independent filmmaker and the founder of IndieFlix and the IndieFlix Foundation. Sheila is an Emmy-nominated costume designer and an award-winning producer of several films, including Screenagers, a documentary about how much screen time is healthy, and two films that we'll be discussing in today's interview, Angst, about the pervasiveness of anxiety among young people, and her upcoming film, Like, about healthy and unhealthy use of social media. You can find out more about Sheila and IndieFlix at IndieFlix.com. We're extremely pleased to welcome Sheila Andreen to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. In today's interview with Sheila Andreen, we'll be talking about how FOMO or fear of missing out can drive and reinforce both anxiety and overuse of social media in ways that are unhealthy. And so for today's tip, I'd like to share a simple mindfulness practice that you can try using if you experience fear of missing out, which I think is something that many, if not all of us, uh, experience and that often we react to, to engage with social media and our devices otherwise. It's that feeling of fear that if we don't go and check Facebook account or email or text messages or something else on our phone or other device will miss out on something fun or exciting or important from friends or family or from work. And the point of this exercise is not necessarily to eliminate the fear, but instead to notice it and acknowledge it, but not necessarily to act on it. So the very simple suggestions, simple in theory, but hard to carry out very often, is when you feel that urge or that craving to go and check your phone, probably easiest when you're not using your phone and you feel that urge to pick it up, turn it on, wake it up, look at it. If you can Notice the urge before you act on it, and this may take some practice. If you can notice the urge before you act on it, see if you can pause before you wake that phone up. And I suggest take at least one deep breath worth of time, both to ground yourself and to draw your attention to what the urge is. Notice it. Acknowledge it, respect it, uh, because it's real. But see if you can step back and look at what the fear is. Is it fear that there might be a message waiting for you that you need to respond to? And see if you can see that as a fear and not necessarily as a fact. And even if you think in that moment that it may be true as a fact that there's something waiting for you, see if in that moment by pausing and perhaps by taking another deep breath in and out, uh, you can say to yourself, even if it's true, I have a choice. 
whether to act on it now by waking the phone up and launching an app. It's within my power to decide whether to act on that fear. The fact that the fear is there doesn't mean I have to take action in response to it. So that's my suggestion. Practice it. See how it works for you. We'll be talking more about FOMO and many other aspects of anxiety and social media use in the interview you're about to hear with Sheila Andreen. Hi, Sheila, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's really great to have you here. I'd like to talk about, um, start out by talking about some of the work you've done so far on your films, Angst, uh, which I've seen in your upcoming film, Like. Uh, you know, the, the film Angst, which is about anxiety, does touch somewhat on the role that technology can play in anxiety and anxiety disorders, but it is much more broadly about anxiety. I wonder if you could start out by telling people just in general, you know, what, what is an anxiety disorder and how, would, how is it distinguished from, let's say, the more typical just everyday anxiety that, that all of us feel from time to time? Sure. Um, so, um, Anxiety, we all have anxiety. It's, it's part of the human condition. It's actually a really good thing um, to have a healthy amount of anxiety. Then when it's an anxiety disorder, it's when it becomes an everyday issue that you're constantly worrying about. And you can kind of measure it by or track it by duration, frequency, and intensity. When it gets to a point where it's really disrupting your life, where instead of like you're nervous about going to school or you're nervous about going to work, it starts to be that you have a stomach, you give a headache, you, you can't even get yourself out, you start to be late, and then you can't even go. That's just the, the worrisome aspect of the anticipation of going to work. When it becomes disruptive, that's when it's really a disorder, and you should seek help. That's, that's very helpful. And the film focused uh, on young people, teenagers, and I wonder... Uh, what you can say about how anxiety and anxiety disorders particularly affect teenagers and any ways in which that phenomenon is different today than it has been in the past? Yeah, that's a great question. I tend to make movies. I like to include young people. I target young people ages 8 to 10 and up. Um, so this particular conversation, and we can talk later about why I actually made a movie about mental health in the first place, but it seems that in today's sort of on-demand, breaking news, you know, 24-7, wired up uh, life we're leading, that we're, there's an imbalance, I believe, that's, that's happening here. And not only are young people more anxious, it seems, to the, to the degree of actually being a disorder. But the parents are too, and, and the parents are the role models. And it's just, it's almost like it's, I don't want to say spreading, because I think people are kind of are predisposed to it. There's a certain amount that's genetic and a certain amount that's learned. But um, we don't have that balance in life anymore. We're not just unplugging and being outside and um, practicing any sort of mindfulness or preventative, you know, self-care and wellness. I think we need to 
incorporated into schools. Instead, school these days is so focused on grades and SATs and getting into a good college. You actually can have a good life. And what we need to teach equally as important is mindfulness and self-care and prevention and incorporate that into the school day so that it's, it's not just this pressure cooker of academics and, and social. Yeah, so you're pointing to some ways in which schools themselves and the pressure they create or reinforce has changed over time. Um, I'm sure it can't help uh, how much kids are, are using technology. Some of the kids you interviewed in the film specifically did talk about technology. I wonder you know, what, what, what common themes came up from them in how technology plays into this? Um, you know, your sort of typical FOMO, fear of missing out, when they see that all their friends are doing things and they're not included, I think it makes them feel um, rejected or, or left out. And that creates anxiety. I think the uh, all the Snapchats and, and all the different uh, messaging and notifications and things that are constantly hitting them and distracting them and um, breaking their concentration makes it creates an anxiety. And then when you're constantly having your, your focus broken and you have to go back to it, I think it's, you struggle uh, just in sort of the learning curve with regard to, you know, what you're studying. So I think it all is connected. And then the lack of actual real FaceTime, like not FaceTime, like on Facebook FaceTime, but where you're actually looking at someone's eyes and is this something that the uh, young people you interviewed spoke to you about? I mean, I wonder, since it's all they've grown up with, uh, do they have a self-awareness of the fact that that is contributing to the problem for them? Or is it contributing to the problem and they're they're not aware that that's part of it, having, you know, never experienced anything different? You know, the the, um, the people that we interviewed for angst, they actually, in some ways, referred to their phones and technology as a way to relieve their anxiety. It also promoted uh, avoidance, which is not good, uh, but it gave them a way to sort of be comfortable with themselves when they're standing there and there's no one to talk to, or they're feeling, you know, disconnected or they're afraid of something. They can go on their phones and whether it's listen to some music, look at some videos on YouTube, text someone, there were actually some healthy uses of technology when they were having a lot of anxiety. Um, and then, but they also did recognize, you know, like the FOMO or um, the notifications constantly interrupting them. It's interesting when you mentioned that um, in some ways they've found what they've, they've learned their own ways to use technology to help them. Uh, but that avoidance is not helpful. Uh, you know, I wonder if you can tell people, and we're, we're talking a little bit about things that are talked about at the end of the film, where you um, talk about some solutions or ways people can help alleviate their own uh, anxieties. Is there, what, what's, it seems to me like it's not always obvious what the line is between unhealthy avoidance of anxiety, you know, running away from it, and healthy distraction or, you know, knowing when to not get so wrapped up in the anxiety that it overtakes you. Right. You know, I think that that's a really common question. Um, 
I think you know when it starts, when it's a problem. Like it's pretty clear if you are, if for example, a student is constantly calling their mom or dad, you got to come get me. You know, like there's, there's always an issue why they can't stay in school or why they will keep missing practice or why they just can't study that. I mean, it's clearly something's going on. And I think if you feel like you're not sure something's going on, there's probably something going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we try to dissect it too much. Like how, what's the tipping point where we know it's an actual disorder. I think when you're not sure that is a point where, you know what, something's going on. And the sooner you feel that uncomfortableness and, and you go and you get some help, the, the earlier you catch something, the more likelihood that you can manage it much more easily on a regular basis. Yeah, I wonder if you can give people any you know, ideas or examples of, of ways that have been found to, uh, to deal with anxiety, to help you know, keep it from spiraling too far out of control, which is when it can become debilitating. Sure. Well, so two things come to mind, actually. One is, you know, just for sort of like light stuff, um, not light, but um, let's say you have to give a presentation and you've really practiced it. So you're prepared, you know, you know, you're what you've got to do, but you're kind of freaking out right beforehand. You can barely remember your own name. There are little things that you can do. And we share that in the movie, which is you can snap your fingers. You can, um, you can pat your hands on your lap. You can grab some ice cubes if it's handy, anything that's going to move the energy from the amygdala to the frontal cortex, to the executive function of the brain, the CEO aspect, that's where anxiety can't exist. And so you can actually start thinking about your brain like a muscle and you can exercise that and, and help yourself in that way. On a sort of different note, let's just say, and, and now I'm going to talk about exposure therapy. And this is a, a kind of exposure therapy that, that parents can do with their kids or friends can do with each other. And you don't have to go to a licensed professional. But let's just say... I'm sorry, I keep going to a school situation, but let's just say someone's, you know, your child is having a really tough time and they are terrified of going to school and it's creating this debilitating anxiety. Um, you can do exposure therapy where several weeks before school starts, you, you agree that you're going to just get in the car, you're going to drive to school and you're not even going to get out of the car. You're just going to drive to, to the parking lot. And you're going to talk about how you feel. Oftentimes it's one to 10 or one to a hundred And the child can say, oh, you know, I'm a 90 right now. It's like, okay, let's breathe. Let's think about uh, your animal or or whoever makes you calm. Think about things that bring you calm. And then the next day you go back or two days later, you go back and you actually get out of the car and you stand in the parking lot and you sort of take take that temperature again of one to 10 and do those exercises to bring it down to like a five or whatever. And then you go back another day and you actually get out of the car and you walk to the steps of the school, but you don't go in. And each day you can get a little bit closer and closer. And maybe you incorporate a friend who goes to school and they sort of come in towards the end of it. And by the time school starts, you've really broken down that fear or you, and you've also created a way to have tools at the ready that you've practiced to actually um, help you get through it. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful example. And, you know, one thing I like about that and what I really liked about the film is that although it talks about what people can do for themselves, uh, you, you put a lot of focus on how people can support each other. 
within the family, amongst friends, uh, at school, that this is not a problem that people need to or should be trying to deal with all on their own? Oh, I love that you you see that. It was, you know, these movies are designed to to grow community. And um, because we have to be there for each other. We have to notice each other because we all matter. And it's really important that we learn how to help ourselves and not be afraid to talk about things, but also not be afraid to help others. I learned making this movie that I have social anxiety. And I never knew that. I, we didn't talk about it when I was growing up. I just thought I was kind of broken, just a little bit mm-hmm. less than everyone else. And when, in making this film, I realized, oh my gosh, I am textbook uh, social anxiety. And I had created kind of life hacks. It turns out they're actually pretty good hacks, but I didn't know any of that. I just kind of existed. And of course, I didn't tell anybody because I wouldn't want anyone right. to know. But what's really interesting is I also felt like I wouldn't know how to be there for someone if they were having a panic attack or high anxiety. Like, I don't know how to help them. But yet, if, if you were choking, I would know how to jump in and I might not be good at it, but I can Heimlich you. Or if you mm-hmm. passed out and you stopped breathing, I'd been taught CPR in school and Girl Scouts, and I might not be great at it, but I knew how to do that too and to call 911. But when someone is having like a mental break of some kind, I, I, I ran for the hills. And so in making this movie, I learned actually, it's really easy to be there for each other. And I really want that to come out in the film because if we don't start paying attention to each other more and get our phone, our faces out of our phones. And by the way, I'm the worst culprit in our family. I'm always on my phone. (laughs) But if we don't start paying attention to nature, to to each other and to ourselves more offline, you know, we're going to miss so many things. We're going to miss the fact that someone might've just kind of fallen off the ledge mentally and now they're going to go and there's a school shooting or, you know, like we, or a suicide. Like we just, we have to pay more attention. I think it really did come through in, in the film. It's one reason I'd encourage people to see it. Uh, the social aspect, you know, it, it, it jumped out at me because it's so often missing from films and, and books and talks. I think we, we live in a very individualistic culture, you know, rugged individualism is part of American culture and what we call personal responsibility. And, you know, how, what are, what are books on this kind of topic usually categorized under self-help, right? you know, do, do it for yourself. And there's very little out there unless it's targeted at someone who's a professional, like a psychologist whose job it is to help other people. There's very little discussion I find of doing exactly what you're saying. How can you learn to help your family member or friend or or other person? I, I, it's a concern I have about you know, how mindfulness has developed in the U.S., that it's become a very individualistic thing for each of us to practice and learn on our own, uh, which is important. And, and as you said, of course, it's extremely helpful for people to learn how to deal with their own anxiety. But, you know, that, that it would be a problem if that were the only way people knew. Um, I wonder if you can talk more about, um, is, is there anything beyond the film that you're doing or working on? I'm sure people have been asking you for resources or, or, you know, ways that they can act on what's in the film. Can you talk a little bit about any, any efforts in that direction, either by you or, or anyone else that people can turn to? Sure. 
Um, I'm glad you asked that. We actually, um, you know, when these films screen in schools and communities and corporations around the world, it's already, we've already screened in 20 countries. And beyond the screening and the discussion and the sort of tip sheets that we share and all the resources that are available on angstmovie.com website, we've been asked to provide other things that people can do to keep the conversation going. And so I set out to find that thing, that program, because I knew it existed somewhere because it feels like a pretty reasonable ask, but I couldn't find anything that actually felt easy to, to implement. And teachers, if we were going to do it in a classroom or parents at home, were going to uh, facilitate any of these programs. They had to be like, experts. And I just thought, gosh, there's got to be something that we can do as just regular people, unlicensed professionals to help ourselves and help each other in our community. And I couldn't find anything. They were all pretty dry and boring and overwritten and too scientific. And I just thought, gosh, this is, you got to find something and not dumb it down, but make it really easy. And so we ended up after several attempts, just creating what we call the creative coping toolkit. And it has right now we have we actually have about fifteen different exercises, but it's going to launch with six. And it's really simple things that you can do uh, in any kind of group setting. But you can also do it by yourself. We could even do it right now if you want. Um, one of the exercises is to, if I were to say to you, Robert, how are you feeling right now between one and ten? In terms of anxiety, uh, and just in terms of right now, how are you feeling? Instead of putting a word to it. Assign a number of your overall sort of, how are you feeling? Higher being better, I'd guess. <laughs> yes, yes. About an eight. Oh, okay. See, that's great. And, and so we can just acknowledge each other. And, you, if, and I would say, I'm about an eight too. This is good. So, but if you had said to me, I'm a four, then I would stop. I would pause. And I would say, you want to talk about anything? You want to hug? Do you want, mm -hmm. let's get you up to a five. I mean, I wouldn't say let's get you to a five, mm -hmm. but I would be able to, it's a way to talk that speak the same language because how are you fine? Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean anything anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just habit, right? Yes. And we do that so often. It's just another form of saying hello. Right. And you don't even hear the response. So that's one of the things. There's another one where you can think about your favorite place it brings you calm and mine is Maui. So everyone knows when I'm, when I'm a little bit crazy here at the office, they can just say, do you wish you were on a beach in Maui? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. And I immediately, my body changes, my body language. Even when I was telling you just now talking, my body language changed and inside I relaxed a little bit. So just, it's just training our brains. And so in doing the exercises and the creative coping toolkit, and there's videos in there too, and kind of it's gamified a little bit, it, normalizing the conversation. And so now it's kind of giving us permission to talk about our feelings, to talk about how we're really feeling, but then also to practice being there for each other. That's great. I mean, we'll share all of this information with people after, but um, where can people find the Creative Coping Toolkit? Oh, angstmovie.com, or you can go to creativecopingtoolkit.com. That's really good because, as we've said uh, already, there's there's not much out there. I'm sure that's why you've been uh, developing it. Um, I want to switch gears just a little bit or move on to your next upcoming film, which is Like. Uh, 
uh, which is about social media. Could you, one, just give us a little bit of an overview about it, and then two, you know, talk about how it might relate to angst. I'm sure people listening can take a guess at how, how a, a film about social media might you know, have something to do with anxiety. Oh, sure. Um, so Like is a documentary about the impact of social media on our lives and a little bit about also just technology's effects on the brain, developing brains, as well as more fully developed brains. And, you know, it's just been such a big conversation in our house. We have six kids and um, we're all on social media. We're all dealing with um, the pros and the cons of it. And because it's made us so connected in the world, the world's become such a smaller place now. It's so accessible. And yet we're more disconnected than ever. And I really wanted to explore that conversation. I really wanted to understand how this is possible. And I feel like we've got to do something about it. Like, I feel like it's getting unhealthy. We need some guardrails. We need some, we just need to have a better understanding of the impact that it's having on us. So what I learned in making this film, I cannot wait to share with everyone my hope is that anyone who watches it will be inspired, actually, to want to self-regulate, to be inspired to create more balance in life and be inspired to actually like speak to each other in person without a device between us. I wonder if you can say a little bit what you mean about being more disconnected. I mean, I have an intuitive idea of what you mean by that, but of course the promise of social media was that by enabling us to all communicate with each other, share photos and stories and and chat online, that it would almost by definition make us more connected with each other. Yeah. You know, so when you say it, we're more disconnected than ever, you know, what what do you mean by that? And what did you find about it through making the film? We're more connected online. There's in these Apps, these platforms are designed to, you know, it's the attention economy. And so, unfortunately, you know, these companies, these platforms, their job is not to think about whether we're sleeping or eating or doing our work. Their job is to keep us, our eyes on their platforms, to be engaged. And it seems that by being so, we, we're almost addicted to these platforms and we're not connecting with each other physically in real life, in real time, in person. And we're also now sharing ourselves online. It's sort of the game just keeps getting up and up and up as far as like, we are brands now. We are products. We are, we show the best part of our lives. We are, we're like creating this image of ourselves to share with the world that we want people to think mm-hmm. we are, and we're not addressing what's really, what we may be really feeling inside. And so there's a lot of like comparison. There's a lot of, there's a lot of unhealthy stuff going on. We even learned that there's, you know, there's such a thing as Snapchat dysmorphia, where the average person takes a selfie and their nose looks bigger. So now plastic surgeons mm-hmm. are having this, a lot of people coming in wanting to have smaller noses. And or they come in where they used to say, oh, look, I want Angelina Jolie's lips and I want Brad Pitt's jawline or something. Instead, they're going in and they're showing thousands of photos of themselves, their own selfies with all mm. these filters on them where their skin is perfectly porcelain white. 
their lashes are long, their lips are different, their noses mm-hmm, are smaller. Mm-hmm. It's not even real. You almost look like a, almost like a cartoon. And they're like, I want to look like that. I want to look like my selfie with these filters. And um, and this is globally. Right. You know, when you mentioned these filters, here's my own ignorance of it. Um, is, is this because uh, software developers are are providing filters to people that they can use specifically to make themselves look better on social media? Oh, totally. Yeah. You can make your skin clear. You can give yourself cheekbones, bigger eyes. Like you can do anything with a push of a few buttons in 30, you know, like in 10 seconds. So, you know, you're pointing not just to the difference between face-to-face, in-person, physical contact, but other harmful side effects of communicating um, online or online too frequently or in certain ways. Um, I I wonder, again, if you can jump ahead or give people maybe a a simple example or idea uh, for how to try to reverse this or counteract it in their own lives, you know, understanding just how strong the pull of social media is. Yeah, I mean, I think that the whole, let's just say, you know, a girl posts a picture of herself. First, she always kind of, they, they sort of start off posting things they're passionate about and they get some likes and some follows and a few comments. And then they post a picture of themselves and all of a sudden they get hundreds of likes and a few comments. And it's like, wow, well that there's like a dopamine release in the brain when you go from like 10 likes because you took a picture of something you like to do and then you post a picture of yourself and now you have like 180 likes in the same amount of time. And you're just like, wow. So they get addicted to that and they start, it's, it's this, you know, it's that uh, one-armed bandit, the slot machine effect, that reward system that's in place that's making you want to do more. So now you do another picture of yourself and it gets more likes and you keep doing that. And then you realize it starts to plateau a little bit. So then you take a picture of yourself. Someone takes a picture of you in your bathing suit and now it gets a thousand likes. And you're like, wow. So you keep upping it, upping it. And then, then you you need that rush again. You need that feeling, that reward. So then mm-hmm. they'll do s- stupid things like late at night and they'll, t- they'll post a picture that's probably too risque and that gets even more likes and they get addicted to that. And it's, you know, there's, where's the guard, where are the guardrails? How do you, how do you deal with that? When, when someone is basically, it's kind of an addiction. Right. And we talk about that too in the movie. Yeah, I know. So I sometimes hear people say, uh, they make the argument that, oh, this is not really any different than before, particularly for teenagers. They were always attuned to, who likes or dislikes them in school and focused on them. And maybe this is a little bit stronger. I mean, to me, I I think it is fundamentally (laughs) different uh, to be getting real-time feedback from people constantly at all hours of the day, including anonymously from people you don't know. I mean, I'll say in my experience with the blog and the podcast, I've noticed my own reaction to it. Unfortunately, I have some experience practicing mindfulness, and I've been able to be conscious about um, when I even look at reviews or likes and um, whether I react to them or take action based on them. But getting feedback from people I don't know, sometimes very strong 
a positive or negative, you know, both of them can be, there can be, I found, a, a reflex, reflexive internal response to them, which can be very strong. And in the absence of having some practice and experience at, you know, responding or not, I could see it being very hard to just not, not react reflexively to it. No, we even um, interviewed Leah Perlman, who is the one of the creators of the Facebook like button. Mm. And she also is an artist and a blogger, and she found herself measuring her own, I mean, it had an impact on her self-esteem. She was measuring her own self-worth based on likes and follows, and she knows how the algorithm works. Right. And she, she noticed the effects on her brain. And the only way she could really deal with it was to, you know, unplug and make sure that she created balance in her life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's another feature which I found is quite different is that um, all feedback appears equal in a sense. You know, in real life, if I got feedback from a stranger, I would unconsciously discount it. Uh, compared to feedback I got from a close friend or a family member, which whether it's positive or negative, I would take more seriously. Uh, but online, it all looks the same, right? It all looks the same. Yeah. And our brains, I think, aren't, <laughs> you know, haven't evolved to know the difference and to treat them differently in the way that we would automatically if it were in person and someone on the street called out some feedback to us, you know, and we'd know not to give it a lot of weight. Right. That's a good point. So uh, when, when will like be out? I wonder and when, when and where and how can people see it? October 10th is when it debuts. And it's again, it's the model. So IndieFlix um, is a streaming and screening service. And so we're when our focus is content for a purpose, content for good, things that you, you want to watch and then talk to people. But it's edu, edu, educational and engaging and entertaining at the same time is my hope. We even have like a zombie movie with a bullying theme in there. Um, but so that's the streaming side. And then the screening side is where we actually make these social change, social impact films. Um, they're kind of our tentpole films and we take them out offline into communities because my belief is that when we come together as a community and we witness each other watching this film and then we have a conversation together that we then have permission to talk about this within our own community for the weeks and months and years that come after and whether it's standing in line at the bank or on the soccer field or in carpool or at work that we can talk about it and we can start to move the needle and have an impact, a positive impact in the community. We've measured it. We're seeing this happening. So while it may be frustrating that you can't go right down to your local theater and see it, you can go to the website of the, whichever film and type in find a screening and put your zip code in. And it's, you know, as, as it rolls out, think of it as doing it's theatrical. It's available all over the world and you can find a screening near you or you can reach out to us and we can bring it to your community. And then eventually it'll be available to just watch on your phone or at home alone. But in the beginning, we use that to, to have conversations in communities. 
I mean, it sounds perfect. It sounds like you're practicing what you preach in the film, right? <laughs> that you, yeah. you're, you're preaching the value of face to face connection and you are launching and releasing the film in a way that promotes that directly through how you're distributing it. No, we absolutely do. And I will tell you, we get a lot of flack for it because the world is just wired to watch on demand alone in their living room or on their phone. And people will say, if you really want to help people, you need to make it free and put it online. It's like nobody talks. Mm -hmm. And so for now, for several years, we make it as available as humanly possible. If someone says, well, it's not playing anywhere near me. We're, we're like, give us a few names of schools, communities, churches, a major corporation that's there, and we will reach out to them and make it happen. Yeah, and I'll just repeat uh, what you said a couple of minutes ago to people. If anyone is listening, wants to host a screening, uh, they should get in touch with you, host it at their company, at their church, at their school, at wh wherever they have available to them uh, where they could get a community of people together to come and see the film. And as you said, not just sit and watch it, but then have a conversation afterwards. Yeah. And we make it so easy. Literally, you just pick the date and time and you all obviously have a place and the community's built in. and We provide everything. And I just want you to repeat again for anyone who uh, maybe whose attention faded earlier, you know, how, uh -huh. how can they get in touch with you to, to um, host or just to view a screening of like? Just go to thelikemovie.com and click on find a screening and you can put in your zip code and it'll show where it's playing near you. You can also click another button on that page, which says bring like to my community and it'll email us and we'll bring it to your community. But you can also go to the IndieFlixFoundation.org and you can see all of the films there that we work on. Finding Kind, you can find Screenagers, you can find all of the films and link to those websites. That's fantastic. Thanks so much. And we will post all of these links uh, in the show notes for this episode. Wonderful. Yeah, this has been really great. Ashil, I've really enjoyed speaking to you and having you on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Thanks for being here. Oh, I love your podcast and thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for this Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Sheila Andreen, the independent filmmaker behind Screenagers, Angst, and Like, three films which explore our complex relationship with our devices and the online world. You can find out more about Sheila and IndieFlix at IndieFlix.com. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and share the episode with your friends. Those and all other links are in the show notes. And check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about science, technology, and mindfulness. And find out about our Tap Into Mindfulness course for helping you to take control of your smartphone at bit.ly slash TFM meditation. That's bit.ly slash TFM meditation. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with relationship expert Marla Mattinson who will talk to me about how not only to avoid some of the worst problems that technology causes in relationships, but also how to use technology to make your relationships stronger. <laughs>